Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we begin a new series, walking through the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. We will see that Habakkuk's experiences are sometimes frighteningly similar to ours today. This morning we're going to look for the important reminders of God's sovereignty and his control over the conditions of injustice so that we can know that when we cry out to him, he hears us and he's already working on an answer. Thanks for listening. I remember a sense of excitement uh, putting on and lacing up my basketball shoes for the JV tryouts. Um, I remember we had quite a few boys going out for for the team, uh, more than what could possibly be kept for the actual team. Some who had actual talent and skill, and then I couldn't really figure it out, but there were some of those kids in class that really didn't belong at tryouts. You, you, I don't know if you went to these school with any of these kids too, but um, there, there was this one kid who was always getting in trouble, and he didn't have any sense of personal responsibility or discipline in his life. And as we're there, kind of everybody stretching out and getting ready, um, he just started acting like a goofball as we're waiting for the coach. Uh, he would take the balls off the rack and he'd kick them. And then he'd be running around and trying to pull, you know, pants somebody. You guys know what that is in church, right? When you're, you know, and, and it's like teenage boys just acting goofy. And then the coach showed up. Which young man do you think got dismissed right away? Yes, it was that young man, which was frankly for in his benefit because after an hour and a half of sprints, the rest of us were exhausted, but he got dismissed right away. And part of it was because he, he was acting like he was in charge. He was acting like he owned the place when in fact he didn't. He had no respect for the coach. And so that wasn't going to stand. It wasn't going to last when the coach showed up. I sometimes wonder if uh, the way in which we conduct our lives isn't somewhat similar in analogy to that young man. As I look around and take evaluation over the headlines within the newspapers or what comes across my news feed, it seems to me there's an abundance of confidence in human pride and ability. That there is not before the secular world a fear of the Lord. There is rather instead a redefinition of what morality might be to suit my own will, my own perspective, my own desires. If you recognize this to be true as well, the place where you and I have to go a step further is to not ask the question, is this true in society? Because I think we would all give a resounding amen to that. We have to ask the question, is this true in the church? Has the church today compromised on its ability to obey what God says? Has our church in some ways crafted these little, maybe unforeseen rules or ways or traditions by which things are done the right way that have a far more to do with human desire and tradition rather than the will of God? Uh, we're we're going to be starting a new series through an Old Testament book just for a couple of weeks. It's a very short book, the book of Habakkuk. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. And the, the, the subject that we're going to be endeavoring to study as we look into this very short prophetic book, I'm entitling as The Injury of Injustice. 
Because injustice is something that God takes very seriously. No place more seriously than among His own people. As we're going to take time over the next couple of weeks to meditate through what this prophet, this Old Testament prophet has to say, it's my hope that you will be able to draw the accurate, correct lines, those, those tendons of connection that God would be wanting to make, even prophetically, as he did in the Old Testament time, make repair. Make repair amongst God's people so that we are those careful to avoid God's judgment upon unrighteousness. Upon rebellion. Now we have an advantage. So just before we, we look through this, I want you to know you, you've got a leg up on the folks uh, living in Habakkuk's day. Uh, because God has given you his spirit. And, and I'm certain all of you follow the spirit's will all the time. Right, everybody? No? Yeah. You know, so so we, we know with humility, uh, it, it is a, a process in our own lives of recreating our will and our minds, reframing them according to what God desires. I hope that's why you've come today. I hope that's why you give attention to God's words, because you know, amen, pastor, I am still in process. I am, I am one who is today continuing to be molded and shaped so that I see through the lens that God sees. Well, there's a lens that Habakkuk sees, and as he looks to his world, he recognizes that there are major problems. I want to give you a little bit of background before we just dive into the text. Uh, Habakkuk is a prophet that is writing to the southern kingdom. Uh, Just a little history lesson for you here, that God's people uh, lived under a united kingdom with King David. Uh, Before that, Saul, and then after David, Solomon. But then quickly, the kingdom became divided into two, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, Judah in the south with Jerusalem being the capital city in the south. And decades before Habakkuk writes, the entire northern kingdom is captured by an outside army, by the Assyrians, and they are taken away. Habakkuk knows that his fellow countrymen, uh, Jews like himself, though belonging to other tribes, have been taken away into exile, and the only ones left are now in that southern kingdom. And Habakkuk looks at the state of his society, and he sees a king who does not follow the ways of God. A leadership amongst the people of God that has no fear of God before his eyes. And as he watches those leaders devolve into Um, depravity and unrighteousness, his heart begins to break because he knows that the God of righteousness will not tolerate his people to continue to misrepresent his name. That's a bit of the background for you. Um, And so with that as a a backdrop, I invite you to look with me now. We're going to read verses in chapter 1, just 1 through 11, this first section. Um, Also, I want you to know kind of the structure of the book is a conversation. Habakkuk is having a conversation with God. And um, I don't know if you've ever done that. Have you ever had one one of these like fist shaking conversations with God? Like, well, I don't know why it's going this way, Lord. I don't know if you've ever been there in your life. If you have, then you're going to recognize the tenor and emotion that comes from Habakkuk. Let's read together. Please follow along. Verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. 
How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you don't listen. Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong destruction and violence are before me? There's strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Verse 5 is God's response to Habakkuk. Verse 5. Look at the nations and watch. Be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and they promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallop headlong, their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings. They scoff at rulers. They laugh at all four fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. They sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. All right, we're going to Stop there. <laughs> there's, more, there's more to the story. You're, you're going you're to want to hold on and make sure you come back for next week. But um, I, we're going to begin here because what I want us to do is see if we can outline some of the key observations that are causing Habakkuk's uh, remorse and then reciprocating God's unprecedented reply. Uh, the, the first here of the three primary observations is answering the question, when injustice shows up amongst God's people. So what, what are those conditions where injustice shows up? And the first is when God's reputation is abandoned. You will find injustice, wrongdoing, unrighteousness, a kind of those who have strength lording it over those who do not, when God's reputation is abandoned. I want to show you back into um, verse uh, 3 where this shows up. Habakkuk makes these two uh, rhetorical claims, these two questions in verse 3. He says, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong?" Do you, do you see the subject here of uh, his frustration? Who is Habakkuk blaming? Go ahead and answer. From, from Habakkuk's vantage point, it appears as though God is the one who is always allowing these injustice, unjust acts to be before him. And that in doing so, you know what? Apparently, God must tolerate injustice. God must be cool with it. No problem. That's how it looks to Habakkuk. What we need to see, however, 
is that it is not God who is doing these acts. Who is it that's doing them? God's people are. God's people have now acted in ways, have carried actions and behaviors sourced in their own will because they have forgotten, they've abandoned to stand for God's reputation. The the reality still exists, though. God's reputation is continued to be displayed. Habakkuk helps us see that. It looks like God is doing these things. It looks like God is the one to blame, that he actually, that he, he puts up with this. He tolerates wrongdoing. What about the church today? Is there a failure to stand up in our church today? Is there a, is there a failure to um, recognize the importance of fearing God over man in our world today? And, uh, and I would want our church to make sure that we're looking before we glance across any borders to any other church that we look square in the mirror and we say, wow, what about, what about us? Have we forgotten that we carry God's reputation? Because you do. You do. When I was uh, in sixth grade, I remember there was this one girl in class who was so easy to pick on. Um, uh, her, her clothes didn't fit right. Uh, her hair wasn't combed pretty, right? For whatever reason, the kids in my class, and you know kids are mean, right? Any amens there? Amen. No, kids, that she was just a really easy target. And I was never really picked on when I was young, um, to a point that I cared about. Like, for whatever reason, the Lord spared me from some of that, even though I had a really high voice. And my, my poor, if you look at my poor son and his pants, mine were the same, like all the way up to here all the time. It's a systemic in my family. Mom and dad can't afford pants. So, so uh, but besides the point, it never really bothered me, but I could see it bothered this young woman. And I can remember moments where I would be tempted to want to join in with my buddies because because they were on the you know you didn't want to be the butt of the joke for sure but then I always had my heart kind of conflicted to look at this young woman and I can remember at one point I kind of had enough I think that I crossed a line in my own heart of not speaking up and so I did and I spoke up and then do you know who became attacked after that Do you know that that's what will happen to you as well? That, that's the same decision that you have to reconcile in your heart when it comes to carrying not your reputation, but God's reputation. Are you willing to stand for those least of these and be willing to take accusation? Because you will. Uh, there's, a, there's a misattributed quote to Edmund Burke saying, evil triumphs when good men do. Have you heard this one? No. Yeah. That's all it takes is just don't do anything. And evil will triumph. And as I look around at the state of the church in our country, I can see compromise all over the place. And do you know the root of that compromise? It comes from a fear of men as opposed to having a fear of God. And we need to make sure that we're recognizing you carry God's reputation. So that, that was the failure. I, I really want, I'm just going to repeat it one more time because I want you to see it in the text in verse 3. Who is it that looks like they're to blame? Who is it? It looks like God's to blame, but who is actually to blame? The, the people of God are to blame. All right? That's number one. Number two, uh, that the leadership embraced cultural worship. The, the leadership of God's people 
have embraced cultural worship. Now, in order for us to see this, we're going to have to go and take a look at another book in the Old Testament that's describing what's happening during Habakkuk's oracle. So uh, if, you, if you could, hold your spot in Habakkuk chapter 1 and turn back into your Old Testament to the book of 2 Kings. And we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 21. Uh, 2 Kings comes right after 1 Kings. <laughs> to help anybody out there. <laughs> That's about all the help I could give you. So, uh, 2 Kings chapter 21. Uh, these are the records of how uh, God's people are, are viewed from God's perspective in accordance with the rulers, with the kings. What, what are the kings doing and how do their decisions then matriculate down to affect the people? Second Kings chapter 21. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. Are you with me? Verse one. You guys find that? What, what, who thinks that's a smart idea? Let's put a 12 year old on the throne. I apologize for any 12-year-olds, but listen to your parents, right? Amen? And no amens out of that? Come on. Probably not a smart idea. Manasseh gets put on the throne, and watch this. He reigns for 55 years. Now, I'm not going to get political. Thank goodness we only have four years, right? Imagine 55 years of the same character of a ruler. Now, if he's a benevolent king, boy, that's awesome, right? But if he's a sinner, you're going to set yourself up and your nation up for a lot of problems. I want you to see what's happened here. Uh, his mother's name was uh, Hephizba. He, verse 2, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations God had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places after his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made an Asheroth pole as King Ahab, uh, as Ahab king of Israel had done. And he already knows what happened to the northern kingdom. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. You're going you're to have trouble with verse 6. See if you can parallel this to anything happening today. He sacrificed his own son in the fire. He practiced sorcery and divination and consulted mediums and spirits. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Um, I, I'd love to continue to, to read through this. It's a lot more of the same. Um, it, it, if you had any time and felt like you wanted a, an interesting historical read sometime today, uh, go ahead and work your way through chapters 21, 22, and 23. Um, if you just flip in your Bibles to chapter 23 real quick, I, I want you to see uh, just the major problem here because uh, the Cliff Notes version goes like this. Uh, Manasseh finishes his rule and then his son Amon takes over only for two years and he's assassinated. And then Amon's son Josiah comes to rule and Josiah gets things right. And we're like, if you're reading this, you're like, finally, it's been 55 years of worshiping what the cultures around us worship. And finally, we have a godly king in Josiah. 
Right? Wouldn't you think that we get things on the right track, except if you look in chapter 23, verse 26? Nevertheless, man, it just breaks my heart. That word breaks my heart. Jump back to verse 25. You guys still with me here? Chapter 23, verse 25 says, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did. With all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his strength in accordance with the law of Moses. And we, and we give a big amen, right? Way to go, Josiah. I mean, the guys that, that put him in charge, man, feather in their cap, right? Except the next verse. Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn away from the heat of his fierce anger, which burned against Judah because of all that Manasseh had done to provoke him to anger. Um, you can go back to Habakkuk now. Turn back to Habakkuk. Habakkuk is writing during the days of Josiah. And, and the Babylonians are coming and they're invading. But what you need to see is that Habakkuk was raised not under Josiah. He was raised under the rule of Manasseh. He watched the nation continue to devolve. Decades and decades earlier, he saw the pattern of behavior and how it's going away from God's will. And it was because the leadership did what? Well, the leadership embraced cultural worship. There, there, there's a strong warning here for God's people. Don't, don't think leadership is just a, a short little term to maybe put a feather in your cap. Or, or have a way of having a voice or to, to make things happen the way that you want. <laughs> to, have, to be a leader amongst God's people is for you to operate daily under fear and trembling. Fear and trembling, not because of God's wrath, but fear and trembling because God is watching. And he's going to expect integrity out of those who are in charge. And so this is, this is really for us an important warning to make sure that that is criteria number one as we examine those who are in leadership and that the rest of the church continues to look that that's what we expect. Not compromise, not being persuaded to coalesce with what the culture says is okay and says is fine because that's a form of idolatry. Did, did you see what Manasseh did? The starry host, you guys ever look up on one of these clear nights and see the stars? It's amazing, right? Yeah, they had those same stars. And for them, they became idols. They became gods. And so in God's temple, did you see what Manasseh did? He started erecting altars to who? The stars. What can a star do for you? You pray to a star? Big ball of gas (laughs) burning in the sky. That's, that's, That's idolatry. That's for you to reach and find something other than the one true living God. And that was the problem in his day. Number three, God's word is abandoned. Back in Habakkuk chapter one, if you look with me in verse four, he says, therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. What Habakkuk here is complaining against is that you guys have Bible. How do you know what God wants? Where, where can I find that? Oh, if I only knew where to find what right here it's right here but that's not what they were doing in judah in judah they started to make decisions not based upon what god had said they started to make decisions based upon how it best served them 
And so from bribery to extortion to all kinds of evil, you saw the law become uh, not, not nullified, but in a way useless because we left it. We let the dust gather upon God's word, and instead we began to form our own traditions on how to do things. And so wherever God's word is abandoned, the result will be injustice will show up among God's people. Boy, this is, a, this is an easy one for today. It is, it is not a popular thing to espouse the word of God. I, I hate that that's true, you guys. I really do. I, I, from my own journey to know the Lord, have realized that my very best judgments, do you know what they produce in my life? Pain. <laughs> the, the very best opinions that I have had have proved, if I could chart them out for you over time, to not pan out the way I want them to. But do you know what does work out? When I follow God. Oh, and it's super easy, right? Super easy just to do what God says all the time. Absolutely not. This required very early on when I was about 18, 19 years old. I remember I was harboring such bitterness in my heart towards one of my classmates. I'm telling you, this kid was so annoying. You guys would have hated him too. He was the worst. <laughs> He'd sit on the front row and he was just this, just Mr. Big. I just couldn't stand this kid. Although I didn't know him. I didn't even know him at all. All I knew is I had pride growing in my heart. And it's so interesting. So many times the way in which we are offended at other people is because we have that sin in our own hearts. It was because he, he looked with every appearance that he thought highly of himself and that offended me because I thought highly of myself. And the Lord started to bring conviction over my heart over this. And I, I was just convicted. This is hurtful in my life. So, Lord, what do I do? And the Lord told me, pray for him. So I did. I, I just would pray for this classmate of mine every day and every time that little annoying voice came into my head. That's him, not the Holy Spirit. That's him. I would pray for him. And do you know what happened? God changed my heart. But I want you to know it wasn't easy. It was not anything I would have ever chosen myself to do. But it's because I'm holding to God's word. And we need to do so today. But the Bible tells us that won't happen. This passage from 2 Timothy. Watch this. In the present, Paul says to Timothy, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, pay attention to that word, judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. See it? Three little words. Preach the word. I've, t- I've taken that seriously. So like it or not, what the Bible says, easy or hard, this is what needs to be done. When I, when I first moved back, was that an amen, Jerry? Give it again. Amen. Thank you. When, when I first came uh, to this church in 2016 and met with Pastor Dave, I remember that there were certain concerns that I had that regarded to the denomination, not Sagola, but just the way in which um, the, the denomination was moving forward. And I remember having coffee with Dave uh, at the cafe one morning, and he said, what we would ask of you if you become the pastor is that you not only preach the easy parts of God's word, but the hard ones as well. 
Some of you in here might remember that. And I had, um, Bonnie, you were there. I, I, I had that typed out and I asked every one of those leaders in the church to sign their names to it because that's so crucial for me to know. It's my job not to just preach the easy words. Anyone can do that. You need to be able to preach the hard passages as well. Because you know what the problem is? Paul knew. Paul knew. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers who will say what their itching ears want to hear. Tell me something I want. Tell me something I like. And so this, is the, this will lead to injustice. Wherever God's reputation is abandoned, wherever the leaders embrace cultural worship, and wherever God's word is abandoned, the result will be exactly what you and I see coming from Habakkuk. So, so you saw God's response, which is what we're going to dive into more next week, being the Babylonians. But there's a few conclusions that I think we can draw from this to wrap it up today. The number, number one, the very first thing is this. God is always watching and he knows. I can't tell you how great, how, how great news this is for you. Have you ever seen injustice in your life? Have you ever encountered an experience where the scales have been imbalanced and you know this is not right, this is not how it should go? A lot of times we're felt a bit helpless because we want to reconcile those scales. But don't worry, don't worry. Because who saw? God saw. God knows what's going on. If you look back with me in the Bible, verse 5, this blows Habakkuk's mind. Verse 5 says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. I'm going to do something in your days that you wouldn't believe. Even if someone told you. Uh, question. Did God have to figure that out? Like, well, that's today. I gotta, was God surprised by this? He, he, God knew. God knew all along what was going on. God knew what was happening And God had an answer, even though the answer was one that Habakkuk does not like. What I want us to just rest upon today is that wherever you find injustice occurring, be confident in the God who sees because he knows and he's always watching. Uh, This passage from Proverbs, very helpful. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and on the good. That, that, is a, that is a verse of good news for us today as we seek to be people who pursue justice and, and resist injustice, that we want to be part of righteousness and not oppression. All right, secondly, for con- uh, conclusions is this. God allows for evil to punish evil. I think that the book of Habakkuk is probably the best book in the entire Bible for answering the question of evil. Have you, heard, have you heard this one before? Maybe you've thought this yourself. Why does God allow evil? My goodness, think of the terrible things that, are, that go on in our world today. Terrible things. Why? Why? Why, Why would that continue to happen? Maybe you, like Habakkuk, would be like, is, are you, you tolerating this, God? Like, do you see the injustice that's happening? Why? Would you allow this to continue? And the answer is because God allows evil in order to punish evil. Did you see the characteristic of the Babylonians? I mean, they, look at some of the words used to describe them. Ruthless, impetuous. He describes their, um, 
uh, military, right? They're, they're like faster than leopards. Uh, their horsemen come from all over, like, a, like vultures coming from nowhere. Uh, you won't even see them coming, and they're going to devour that which is not theirs. And then a few, um, uh, a few phrases here that are, uh, I think, entirely damning to the Babylonians. Who, who do the Babylonians think highly of? Right? They, it says that they deride kings. They scoff at rulers. They don't care. They don't care. They're not going to listen. In fact, the very last line in verse 11 says that they are guilty men whose strength. Yeah. Whose strength is their what? What's your Bible say? That's their God. I had some of these guys who didn't play basketball. They were on the wrestling team, right? We, we, we had a gym in, in school, right? Pressing the weight. Pumping Iron Man, flexing. Yeah. Careful with that. Careful. You look at yourself too much in the mirror without humility, and you'll begin to think your strength comes from comes from you. That was the Babylonians' error. And God says, "I've watched all the injustice happening to my people, and my answer is I'm going to allow the evil that already exists in society." to punish the evil that you have allowed happen in your midst. I'm not saying that this is something I agree with or particularly am happy with. What I'm saying to you is this is how God does it. He allows evil to punish evil. As I give some thought to this this week, I see this happening in two ways. The first is that he, he is allowing uh, evil to continue rather than wipe it out because it becomes an instrument for God to use. Not that God creates evil. Make sure that we're clear on that. God does not sin, nor is he tempted by sin. So God in no way is creating this evil, but he's allowing it to persist in the same way he allows the devil to persist for a time because it becomes an instrument of his judgment. That's the first way. The second way that God allows evil to punish evil is, think with me on this for a moment, evil is a punishment in and of itself. Do you know that the more that you embrace selfless, self Selfishness, the more that you embrace a worship of false gods, you are forfeiting blessing. Do you, do you see that? It's, it's not that there's only a one-sided scale to this equation. The more that you pursue anything other than God, you will receive the punishment. That, that will be the punishment. Whatever it is that you hold to other than God is in and of itself a punishment. Right, you guys... Track it with me on this. I'm going to say it again. Evil is its own punishment as well. So God uses it as an instrument to be used according to his will. And then it becomes its own punishment. Thirdly, God will discipline his people. Oh, aren't you glad you came to church today? Yeah. God will discipline his own people. Uh, You heard the passage from Peggy this morning out of Hebrews. Don't despise the Lord's discipline. Don't despise it because he's treating you as a son or a daughter. Uh, the writer of Hebrews goes on to talk about how we had human fathers, right, and mothers, and, and they disciplined us as they thought best. God does it all the more that we would become holy. This passage, again, out of Proverbs says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and don't resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son that he delights in. And for Habakkuk, the answer is the same as well. But For us to see this as a conclusion, we have to get one thing straight. I haven't lost you guys yet, have I? You still tracking with me? Let's get one thing straight. 
Is Habakkuk complaining about society or God's people? It's not your question. He's complaining about God's people. What what I want to make sure that we don't mistake here is that the injustice is something that's happening out there. That's happening out there. That's what Habakkuk's so upset about. That's not. It's happening in Judah. It's happening in Jerusalem. It's happening right where the temple exists. That's what has him so upset. So we need to make sure that this doesn't become us versus them and they're so terrible and they got it wrong. That's not what this book is about. This book is about God disciplining his own people. He cares about his own family. I mean, I've seen some kids at school that I'm telling you, I think the Lord aren't my kids. <laughs> I mean, if they acted the way that I see some of them act, if they wore some of the clothes that I see some of them, do you know how many rips you can have in your jeans before they stop being jeans? <laughs> do you know how many of those kids I discipline? All these other kids in school. Do you know, many, do you know how many of them I discipline? Zero. Why? Not my kid. Right? The, the, the discipline comes, the anger, the place where I really need to see this get repaired, that's in my own home. And this is something that we need to see with, a, uh, with the way that Habakkuk needs to see is being done for our own good. So God disciplines those he loves. Um, and we will only truly see that if we get the scope correct on this. That we're not talking about society here. We're talking about taking a look at what's going on right inside God's people. So what, what can you and I do with this? Uh, for us to find that answer, I have to look to a New Testament passage. Thankfully, we're not just under Old Testament principles and law. We actually see the fulfillment of that in Jesus Christ. So to wrap things up here this morning, let me invite you to turn to one last passage. The book of 1 Peter in the New Testament comes right after Right after Hebrews, right after James. First Peter comes right before what other book? Quiz. There you go, Teresa. Yeah. Right before Second Peter. First uh, Peter chapter 1. Pew Bibles. Page 1727 in the Pew Bibles. <coughs> We're going to start at verse 17. I have the words on the screen as well. Uh, folks at home can turn there. Maybe they can see it up on the screen as well. L- listen to Peter's words. And I want, you to, I want you to pay close attention for how they mesh with Habakkuk's message. All right. Peter says this. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially. Live out your time as foreigners here with reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and your hope are in God. In Habakkuk's day, there was a tradition that was handed down from the ancestors that was bankrupt. It was evil. It was completely against God's will. And the problem is, when you are looking at the cultural around you, you will become convinced that they have the values that we need. Right? Things of the earth. But the problem is all those are temporary. 
And so Peter here recognizes that. You're not redeemed with those things. You're not redeemed with temporary things like gold and silver. There's something better that God has given to you. You, God's people, he's given you something even better. So when you call on God then, just like Habakkuk is, when you call on God as Father, make sure that you remember he's going to judge each man's work impartially. Because of that, you need to live your life accordingly. And he helps us to see that. I want to show you that in terms of our application. I'm going to do so this morning with just offering some questions. My hope for you is that you allow these questions to ponder through your heart and that throughout this week, you can come up with answers and seek to follow God's will on them. The first question is this. Are you under the control of Jesus Christ? Are you under his control? If I look at the message from the book of Hebrews, it says that's what has redeemed me. Not redeemed by money. So I don't serve money. Not redeemed by power and career. So I don't serve power or career. I am redeemed by Jesus Christ. And so I serve. I am controlled by Jesus Christ. He is my Lord. He is the King. Uh, That that young man uh, that came into tryouts had no desire to be controlled by anything other than himself. What about you? Are you, are your decisions, are the things that you value, are they under the control of Jesus? Or are you one of these one foot in, one foot out type of people? I know I'm still in process. Hopefully you are too. Hopefully there's sanctifying work to you dwelling upon this question and saying, I wonder if there's any part in my life. I wonder if there's any area where I'm still like, God, I give you Sunday. And I gave you what? 10%, right? So that's yours, but this is mine. I wonder if, I wonder if you're in process of that anywhere in your life as well, because this is a critical aspect of making sure that we know inside of the church Inside of God's people, we're paying attention to his reputation. Which brings me to my second one. Are you living here? Are you living your life here as a resident or as a stranger? The leader, the leadership in Habakkuk's day looked all around at what the nations were doing who grew up there and lived there. And Manasseh, the king, right? The, the, the king started to bring all of that right into the worship that was not belonging to God's people. So how are you living here? Do you keep your bags packed for the return of Jesus? Or are you building new foundations? Are you a resident or a stranger? Are you a citizen here or a sojourner? Somebody passing through. Are you a partier, man? It's awesome here. Or are you a passerby? Are you in... A native or an alien? I got more of these. You want to hear some more? I, are, are you a local or a foreigner? Right? What, what, what is it? Where, where, where is the citizenship of your heart? Is it rooted in this world and its values? Or is it from heaven where you serve the risen king who's ruling and reigning now? That's, that's the critical question that you have to answer. I put this passage up here out of the book of Hebrews, talking about all those who live by faith. It says, all these were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they left, they would have had opportunity to return. 
Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Last question is this. Is your confidence in the God who sees? And I would submit to you on this final one um, as a reminder from both 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. God will judge each man's work impartially. Why? Because he sees. And the message to the uh, prophet Habakkuk, right? Remember Habakkuk's walking around like, God, why you put up with this? Violence here, strife, discord over here. You guess you're cool with it. God says, watch, just watch because I'm about to do something. God sees. And if you put your confidence in the God who sees, I might submit to you, then you might care more about his reputation than yours. If you put your confidence in the God who sees, you will learn to align your life with the one who judges impartially. Folks, my hope for you is that if you put your confidence in the one who sees, you're going to be motivated to want to know what this book says about him. In Habakkuk's day, this book was abandoned. In Habakkuk's day, God's reputation was abandoned. And in Habakkuk's day, there were leaders who valued all of the compromise around them. May that never be said about us, but it begins with you. It begins with me. Will you pray and let's ask God's help this morning?